Welcome, everybody, to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. started, we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of violence, death, and murder. So please be aware of that before you proceed. Also, just be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers. So if that's something you're sensitive to, or if you haven't yet read the book, you may want to skip this episode and come back to it in the future. All right. So before we get into our book discussion and our word of the day, etc., what are we snacking on? Snacks. <laughs> are you snacking on anything I don't, i'm not snacking on anything tonight i don't even have my coffee i just have water it's like the saddest Ooh. snack ever i know i just had a sugar-free red bull so i'm feeling good oh dear <laughs> she is uh um, for everyone to just know she's just been singing random songs making me crack up so that i can't record <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime girl. Oh, um, my goodness. I'm eating uh, pirouette French vanillas, and they oh. are delish. Oh, I love pirouettes. I know they're, they're so, so good. good, but I only allow myself like one every six days. Yeah. No, because you can eat like the whole thing in one sitting and you have to stop yourself. Easily. At least I can. I don't know. I have to forcibly stop myself. They're so light. You know, I don't know. They're so good. Did I ever tell you about the Trader Joe's ones, the holiday ones that they had? Because no. they, they were phenomenal. They had a full tin of holiday flavors. One of them was hot cocoa. One of them was a hazelnut. Mm. It was amazing. And I had to hide them from myself because. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I will keep an eye out for them in the holiday season because yeah. I love Trader Joe's. You Shout out should. to Trader Joe's. What yeah. up? What up? Not um, sponsored. Um, <laughs> not sponsored. <laughs> But please sponsor me because I spend a lot of money at Trader Joe's. Um, uh, yeah, but fun fact, uh, Alex was just <laughs> that. Uh, hello, my darling. Yes. Please let everyone know. That's a yeah. fun fact. It is a fun fact about myself. So I do sing that song to my animals, but I will change up the words. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll say, hello, my babies. Hello, my darlings. Hello, my ragtime pets. Or sometimes I'll say cats or dogs, depending on who I'm singing to at the time. And they love it. They adore it. They look forward to it. Don't let anyone tell you different. Rob will tell you that they hate when I sing to them, but I do it all the time and they love it. Of course they do. He's just jealous because he yeah. doesn't sing to them maybe. And, you know, <laughs> he sees that they come running when you're like, hello, my darling. Um, <laughs> Most of the time I just get blank looks like, are you going to give us treats? Like what's happening? <laughs> do we have to endure this for no reason? Yeah. <laughs> 
my fun fact of the day is that I randomly just sing songs and shout words or phrases for no reason. Sometimes <laughs> alone. Sometimes without an audience. Sometimes just to make us go off track on the podcast. Yes. We'll start. It'll be like recording in progress. And then all of a sudden Jess will be like, shiver me timbers. And we have to stop immediately. <laughs> It's only child syndrome. What can I say? <laughs> you know, but um, whatever. I enjoy it. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I, I don't hate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's time. Remember, we encourage our listeners to use these words in your daily conversations with us on our socials. Stay tuned at the end of the episode when we give out our, what's it called, Alex? Sassy spatula. Award. Sassy spatula award <laughs> to whomever correctly used the word in conversation during the previous episode. Hopefully we do that today because I don't think we did last time. <laughs> Each word of the day <laughs> will come from the Word of Day Vocabulary Workbook by Franny the Pucks, Francine Puckley. Follow the link in bio to get a copy for yourself. And now without further ado, today's word of the day is Donnybrook spelled D-O-N-N-Y-B-R-O-O-K, pronounced Don E. Brooke. It is a noun that is defined as a free-for-all, knockdown, drag-out fight. For example, police expected a Donnybrook at the protest march, but both those for and against the issue were peaceful and courteous. How lovely. Ah. <laughs> Donnybrook. Uh, Alex, I think we can come up with some better examples to help us remember. Can you think of an example or two? Let's provide some on the fly. Um, let's see. So to tie it into our book this week, during training in Fourth Wing, there is sometimes a full-on Donnybrook on the training mats between definitely. the cadets. Absolutely. That definitely is. I would say whenever Jack Barlow is on the scene, he also uh, inspires or encourages some Donny Brooks, um, <laughs> especially when he's <laughs> flinging people off the parapet. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, so during the, was it early 1990s, late 1990s? I'm not 100% sure, but there was a full on Donny Brook to get a beanie baby. I don't know. <laughs> do you remember that when people are fighting each other? For I do. You know, you just made me think, too, because you have below um, when we talk about uh, Rebecca Yaros about the New York Mets. Yeah, um, there was definitely I believe I don't know if it was in their game or if it was a recent baseball game, but everybody went flying onto the field and there was a Johnny Brook <laughs> up, up in the middle of the field between all the players and it got really wild, but it was fun to watch. Oh, wow. Interesting. I don't I don't remember that. I don't know. Well, it was Donnie Brooken, Alex, let me tell you. It was Brooken also, and it was Donnie. Uh I I have this really ridiculous example um <laughs> that I just feel like I need to share at this point. Um, but I witnessed old Donnie <laughs> over by the brook involved in a serious Johnny Brook with Jimmy Rivers and his Ocean Boys gang flock of seagulls. I don't know why I had to be the old lady voice. I don't know. That wasn't even an old. I don't even know what, what voice that was. Red Bull gives you wings. Uh, fourth wings. Fourth wings. There is something on the wing. Fourth wing. Um, 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> All Take right. Take it away. Take us far away from this. <laughs> so before we give you the make it stick activity, here's some trivia about the word Donnybrook. Hockey is well, oh, excuse me, well known for its bench clearing brawls. And the term Donnybrook remains well known today. Thanks to Chuck Brodsky's hockey fight song. The word, however, has its roots in Ireland, not Canada. In 1204, King John of England granted a license to Dublin to hold an eight-day fair in its suburb of, you guessed it, Donnybrook. The fair was held annually, and that's all I know. At some point, that word became... (laughs) Sorry. Um, There was a fair that was held, a fight broke out, and now... That is the term used for a knockdown drag out fight, which is pretty interesting. And, you know, when you think of the word Donnybrook, it sounds like a word that was made in 1204 when language was a little bit more rudimentary. More muddy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a Donnybrook. Let's have a Donnybrook. I don't know. I think it's a fun <laughs> word for sure. Well, okay. So today's Make It Stick activity, which will also be posted on our socials for you to engage with. Uh, is to describe a bench-clearing brawl at a hockey or basketball game. Um, who's involved? And how does it get back under control? Be sure to use the word Donnybrook. Donnybrook. Donnie from Donnybrook was involved in a Donnybrook. I can't. Johnny? That's... <laughs> oh, that's a fun word. It is. It is. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to start incorporating that into my everyday language whenever I see yeah. a fight. It's stupid not to. <laughs> it's a good one. And you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first on Books with Cooks podcast. <laughs> all right. So because, as you all know, we are all about booking and cooking. So let's get into our, our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is... Maple syrup. Inspired by our book of the month, Happy Place. We'll make something using that ingredient to discuss in our party episode, which will air on Thursday. Send us your recipe suggestions on our socials, and we may even feature them in the future. All right. So first of all, let's tell you why we chose this book. It was highly recommended, and we hoped it would live up to the hype. Also, we both love fantasy and dragons, so it didn't take much convincing to read. So before we dive into our discussion, let's provide a plot synopsis so that everyone knows what this book is about. Fourth Wing is a fantasy novel that takes place in the fictional world of Navarre. It tells the the tale of a young woman, Violet Sorengale, who enters her first year at Baskayeth War College to compete for a coveted position as a dragon rider, a role which involves bonding with a dragon and incurring magical abilities. Violet encounters many obstacles on her journey, particularly because she had originally been trained her entire life to follow in her father's footsteps in becoming a scribe, a record keeper, rather than a writer. Violet had been ordered to enter the writer program by her mother, a previous writer herself, and the commanding general of Biscayeth, whom Violet seeks approval from, and whose kinship causes friction among Violet and her classmates. In addition, Violet is considered frail, and weak by her classmates, making her a target at the Brutal War College. As Violet's time at the the college progresses, she learns more about the war efforts of Navarre and begins to suspect that there is much hidden by Navarrean leaders about the growing conflict outside the school's borders. 
During her training, Violet becomes inquisitive of a third-year student, the wing leader of her division, Zayden Ryerson, a mysterious acquaintance whose motives she questions whether or not she can trust. Zayden derives from a group of marked children who were forced into the program after their parents were put to death for treason by her own mother. Violet must prove her worth at a college that constantly scrutinizes her allegiance and strength. All right. So Fourth Wing is written by Rebecca Yaros, a New York Times bestselling author who has published more than 20 novels, primarily in the young adult and new adult genres. She is proud to call herself a military wife and is mom to six children. When she's not writing, she enjoys playing guitar, spending time with family and cheering on the New York Mets. Let's go Mets. <laughs> Rebecca and her husband uh, fostered and adopted their youngest daughter and have been advocates for others to do the same through their own nonprofit organization, One October. Rebecca has disclosed that she and several of her children suffer from Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but it is a hereditary connective tissue disorder caused by genetic changes that affects the connective tissues that stabilize and support the joints and organs in the body. This can often result in chronic pain, chronic fatigue, fragile skin, slow or poor wound healing, joint hypermobility, and other symptoms. Because of her struggles and the struggles of her children, Rebecca has expressed that it was important for her to represent chronic illness in Fourth Wing through its main character, Violet. All right, so before we deep dive into the first half of the book, we wanted to give a breakdown of the main dragon names and who they're bonded to, just to help us out and maybe help you guys out as well. So the first one we have is Aimser. Also, please forgive our pronunciation. Um, but this yes, dragon yes. is bonded to General Sorengale, Violet's mother. Also, fun fact, yes. the name Aimser actually means weather in Gaelic, I believe it is. And um, General Sorengale's signet power is that she controls the weather or at least storms. Yeah, that's definitely a fun fact. I like the connection there. Yeah. So <clears throat> the next one um, is Andarna for short. That is uh, Violet's golden dragon. How pretty does a golden dragon sound? Yes. I and know. the pronunciation of her long name, you know, help. But I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to try, <laughs> is um, Andarna Noram. So sorry if I that did sounds... not say that right. That sounds right but oh, <laughs> all right cool point for me Yay. um <laughs> uh the next one alex you take away all right so the next dragon is also violet's dragon she has two because she's a badass Ooh. um the dragon mm -hmm. is ternarnak ternarnak turn for short <laughs> that's definitely not how it's pronounced <laughs> so sorry turn don't don't incinerate me i will not that's what I think his voice sounds like. Please don't judge me. That's probably what it um, sounds like. <laughs> so the next one is debatable, but I want to say uh, that Zayden's dragon's name is Scale, which sounds like a dragon scale because that sounds fun. But it could be Scale. Or what did you say you thought? Alex? In the audiobook version, they say Segal, which so Steven like Segal scale. is his dragon. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like Scale. I'm going to pretend. That's, that's fine. What it is. Yeah. If it's not in my version, it is. You're that's welcome. fine. The <laughs> next one is Tyne. That's Mira's dragon, Violet's sister. And also the scales from Tyne are used to make armor for Violet 
they're very strong and they keep her safe through a good portion of, of the first half of the book. Yeah. I love that they did that. Um, we actually watched a little video before this, um, a girl who actually speaks Gaelic and she said that it was pronounced Chinya. Um, I'm not sure if that's, uh, if I did it any justice there, but the fun fact was that, uh, it, it means fire. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, so the next one would be Rhiannon. I hope I said her name right. And her dragon's name is uh, either Fierg or Fierge or Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> uh, then we have Dane's dragon, and that is Kath. Yes, and that actually means battle in Gaelic. Hmm. Um, and she pronounced it as Ka, I think. Ka. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't like Dane. Um, and then the final one that we have for you is General Melgren's dragon and his dragon's name is Koda. Koda. So there you have it. Koda. Um, so hopefully that helps you out if anyone hasn't read this and they're following along anyway. Um, if you hear us say these names, so you know whose dragon is who. All right. So let's jump in. First and foremost, we always go over this. What do we think of the title? Well, let's fly in because we got dragons in this one. Woohoo! Okay. I don't know if you can tell by our energy, but we are a little more excited than the hooves right now <laughs> about this novel. What do we think about the title, Fourth Wing? I mean, I love that it has a wing in there and it's about dragons, right? Right on the cover, it says fly or die. So um, I like it. I thought it was inviting. Um, but I think obviously that it means fourth wing. That's the wing that Violet gets assigned to. There's different wings and sections. I think she's in the flame section right? I honestly, I don't remember. I know I that so. uh, each each group in Best Guy at War College is broken down into different wings. Violet is in fourth wing. I don't remember which section. It might be flame section and she's in the second squad. Yes. Yes. And she has a first year at the college as we mentioned, but mm -hmm. um, but she's mixed in with the you know fourth. Uh, is there fourth years? I know no. there's yeah, the third year is when they graduate. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So all the, the first, second, and third years are all mixed in together. And some of them, if they are exceptional in their position, are able to move up into positions of leadership. So they're squad leaders, section leaders, and wing leaders. Uh, so her friend Dane is the squad leader for a second squad, her squad. And Zayden is the fourth wing uh, leader, also Violet's wing. <clears throat> what up, Satan? <laughs> How you doing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So that's actually a perfect opportunity. What do we think of these characters? Where would you like to start? <laughs> well, let's say um, coming off of Colleen the Hooves, <laughs> what we said was two dimensional characters. These characters have dimension. Woohoo. We know a lot about the characters. We get a lot of information. We get some. Um, a lot of perspectives about them. Um, I love the characters. I think that uh, Rebecca or Becky, Becky, Yari -Yar did pretty good um, with her characters. Uh, my favorite, ah, Zayden. I'm team Zayden, baby. Uh, <laughs> least favorite, Dane. Ugh, mm. The worst. What about you, Alex? I hate you, Dane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dane's a pretty unlikable character. I definitely don't like him. Um, I actually don't think he's my least favorite. I think my least favorite is Jack Barlow, the bully. 
And mostly because I think of all the characters, he has the least amount of dimension. Although I do think he's still fleshed out enough to be interesting in the story. I just think he's kind of like a uh, must destroy everything. Just a really, um, we don't really know what drives him. He's just a really mean person, a really mean and violent person. And we don't really understand why he is. So I would have liked to maybe have learned a little bit more about him, but I think he's my least favorite character. I get frustrated every time he's on the page. Dane, I think at least has a little bit of interest. Um, I think he's a little bit more complex, but I still hate him. I know I still hate him. Um, Violet, love Violet. I think she's my favorite character in this book. I think yeah, I love her too. I love so much about her development. I love that she is considered to be weak and fragile, but she really is. She's strong. She has a lot of depth of character. She at times is a reluctant hero. So she's very reluctant to take that killing blow. She doesn't want to hurt people. And she only really does under duress um, in terms of hurting people. She she only does it if she absolutely has to. And right. I, I kind of like that about her, that she doesn't go full, full brutal in this brutal world. Yes. Um, See, and- I disagree about Jack because I, I thought he was interesting. I didn't like him, but he was an interesting character to hate. Mm. I just think... Like, we don't know anything about him aside that he's a bully. He's just a mean right. bully. And we don't, you know, what what was his home life like? Why is he the way that he is? Has he had trauma in his past that has made him, you know, more of this, I have to be this tough guy type? I don't know. I just would have liked to maybe have learned a little bit more about him. Maybe we will in the second half of the book, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I do agree with you with Violet. Uh, she's definitely like an underdog and you, you just rooting for her the whole time. Um, and I think that's too because of her mom. Her mom, she's always vying for her attention. You know, her mom doesn't really, she seems cold and, um, you know, she was more of her daddy's girl. She wanted to follow in daddy's footsteps. And I think um, I think she always just wants to, uh, you know, not compete for her mom's attention, but she wants her mom to notice her. So I think that gives her a little more drive yeah. and push. Um, yeah. to succeed so I find that that um, little fact a little bit interesting so. yeah and, and I think the fact that she's constantly being told that she doesn't belong or she's never going to make it gives her some of that drive as well and and some of yes. that does come from her mother but uh, you know in terms of her mom kind of implying that she's not going to make it that she's going to come out of this college one way or another a writer or dead but I uh, I think that she wants to prove it to herself. She wants to prove it to other people. Uh, to some extent, she wants to prove it to Dane, who is constantly uh, questioning her abilities and uh, undermining her abilities. So I like to see I, I like to see her drive in the book. Um, so she, yeah, she she's my favorite. I do like Raiden a lot as well. That uh, Zayden a lot. Did I say Zayden or did I say Raiden? you said Raiden because you, yeah. you know. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I do like Zayden a lot though. I mean, he's a good character. I know. Yeah. There's a lot of unanswered questions with him in this first half that I want answered. Um, and I really like their little tension happening. So I'd like to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the mother? How do you feel about her? I like, I like the character of her mother. I think she's interesting. Um, she actually reminds me of a character in the um, an Ember in the Flames series. I think that was the first book, but she's just really tough. She's a commanding general 
and she doesn't provide any type of favoritism, even if it's her own child. I kind of like that. Um, obviously from a mother standpoint though, she's a horrible mother, (laughs) but I think she's an interesting character. And I think she is a really, uh, interesting, um, military figure in this world. Well, that brings us to the next question too. At the beginning of the novel, we learn that Violet's been training for years to enter the scribe's quadrant, but is forced by her mother to enter the writer's quadrant. So what do you think of this decision? I mean, obviously, if it hadn't happened, we wouldn't have this book. So I like that Violet was forced to go into the writer's quadrant. And I also also (laughs) like that she was maybe meant for the writer's quadrant, even if nobody really seemed to think that in the beginning, even Violet. Although I do think forcing your child to do something against their will is cruel and should never, should never take place. So I don't enjoy the the power that her mother exerts over her and determining the rest of her life. And also literally life and death situations where she knows her child could potentially die and in every sense likely would from everybody's perceived uh, notions about Violet, but Again, if she didn't, Violet would never know what she was capable of. Yeah, and I, I think Violet was definitely uh, Violet was definitely made to be a writer. Um, but I do love the fact that she has that scribe background because it really gives her the best of both worlds. So it makes yeah. her so much smarter because she was made for you know being a record keeper, be, being in, in books all the time. So um, I love that she has that background. I think it gives her such an edge. Um, I don't love that her mother forced her into it. I think that that's horrific that she should have never done that she went against her father's wishes because the father had you know died hoping that she would become a scribe um but i do agree that had that not happened we wouldn't have this book i also think her being forced into the role um has gives her something really in common with all of the marked children who were forced Mm -hmm. into it yeah um, particularly zayden you know what i mean so now um maybe people look at them differently you know they were um, forced into it because their parents were deemed traitors. Um, they were they were killed, their parents, and now that their children were all put into the writer program because if they die, they figure, oh, well, right, or see if they're loyal now. Um, so I think that that gives her something as well because not a lot of the uh, students are forced into it. They chose this, and her being you know forced as well kind of um, makes her an outsider in a way. Mm-hmm since she was, you know, has the brain of a scribe. It doesn't make her exactly fit in. Mm-hmm. But I think she was definitely um, made for the role of a writer, for sure. I feel like she would have been bored as mm. a scribe. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think it says about Violet's character that she does not complain or fight her mother's decision to have her enter the writer's quadrant? Like I said, I think that she always wants her mom's approval. So I feel like she doesn't fight her mom about it because she wants you know, she wants her mother to be proud of her. She wants to fit in with her family, her sister, her brother, and her mother are are writers or were writers. Um, So she wants to fit in with them. And then she does have the dad that was the scribe. So she did follow in his footsteps. You know, I think maybe had he been alive still, she would have become the scribe because he would have had his say. Mm -hmm. Um, But she wasn't having that, the mother. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I think secretly, maybe she really did want the adventure because there's one thing about reading in the reading the adventure and there's another thing about becoming part of the adventure Mm -hmm. so I think maybe that's also a reason why she doesn't fight her yeah I think that she 
first of all, she is intelligent and she knows how to pick and choose her battles. And I think she knew this is going to be a losing battle either way. I'm never going to convince my mother that I should not enter the writer's quadrant, that I should go to the scribes. Even if she tried to convince her, I think she already knew it was never going to work. But I think it also says a lot about her conviction and her dedication to herself and saying that I believe in myself enough to believe that I can go into this writer's quadrant that I can come out the other side. I don't need to fight it because I'm going to give it my all and maybe I won't survive out of it, but at least I I tried. And I think that that shows that she's kind of fearless in, in many ways. She also is very headstrong. Um, even when her sister Mira is trying to convince her mother to not let her go, she's you know saying, you're crazy. Why are you doing this? And Violet just kind of tells her, there's, there's no point, you know, it's, this is, it is what it is. It is what it is. Let's just move on. Let's move forward. Let's figure out how I can make it here instead of trying to fight the decision. And I like that. Yeah. And we find out too, that um, Brennan had left a book of his like journal to Mira, um, which she passes on to Violet. Um, She leaves uh, some, she gives it to somebody to leave under her pillow in her bed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's interesting because in one of them, Brennan says, you know, make sure that Violet never does this. So yeah. that's some driving force behind Mira saying, mom, I don't want her in here. She was trying to support her brother's decision on that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, well, I think she's been underestimated by pretty much everyone in her life. And she she is underestimated even throughout this first half of the book by a lot of people. I think he even says in the book, Violet would never be able to take a life. And that's why you have to keep her out of the writer's quadrant. She wasn't, she wasn't made for this. And she's not a killer to that, to that extent, Brennan was right. You know, he did know his sister. He knew that it's really not her choice to have to take a life. She, she wanted to help people and she wanted to help people like her, you know, just didn't work out that way. Right. He wanted to avoid her being in a Donnie Brook. Oh my goodness. Yes. By the way, for <laughs> those use of it you at least once. <laughs> Yay. Um, for those of you who are not reading this book and just following along with us or um have not you know gotten to this point in the book, um, we do learn that Brennan, Violet's older brother, does die. Um, and we find out that uh Zayden's father, I believe it was, mm-hmm. um, was the the guy who who slayed him. So yes. that's why she has some animosity towards Zayden at mm-hmm. first and um Zayden is angry with her because her mother was the one who ordered her his own father's death so um I found that really really interesting yeah so just to to piggyback off of that to give you guys some feedback on the book there was a rebellion uprising by the Tyrannies, another uh territory within the Navarian country or world and Zayden's father was the leader of that rebellion and Brennan was a writer at the time he was in the military and when they went to battle he was killed by Zayden's father so yeah there is a lot of that animosity there eventually the Navarian forces won and the result was that all of the the rebellion leaders and anyone really that was involved in the rebellion was put to death and their children were then conscripted to the writer's quadrant right and I hope we get more information about that in the second half. Um, or we definitely you know, in will. future books. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that because it's an interesting, you know, background. Yeah. Um, I like I like things like that. Yeah. 
So throughout the first half of the book, Violet consistently defies the odds and finds success in the writer's quadrant, despite being told that she doesn't belong and that she'll never make it as a writer. What factors do you think help her succeed? So she gets no support from supposedly her best friend since she's, I think, three is this character, Dean, who is constantly telling her, you can't do this. This isn't for you. You're not going to make it. You're too weak. Um, he's not supportive at all because I I assume he cares for her and he just, you know, wants her to be the, the scribe he thought she would become. Also, maybe he feels a little intimidated by her because he knows that she might outshine him. I'm not really sure, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, but he, he's definitely not helpful. Zayden, however, um, I feel like he is helpful um, in certain ways. You know, uh, he, um, there's certain aspects where I feel like he's helping her, aiding her along, giving her um, encouragement where Dane's lacking. So, you know, where Dane's saying, you can't do this. Zayden's like, but why can't you do this? I think you can, you know, and encouraging her. And I feel like that's definitely something that's helping her um, feel more, um, you know, courageous and successful. Yeah. Maybe more drive is, is, is thrown her way. Um, yeah. I definitely think, her friendships with Rhiannon, Riddick, Sawyer, that they help her because they are, first of all, they they do physically help her. They help her train. And in return, she helps them to study. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. I think her intelligence is another key factor. I think she she learns how to find her way using the skill set that she has. And one of those skills is her her intelligence. And then of course- mm-hmm having Zayden in her corner is a huge help because even though there is this animosity between them, he seems helpful. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he gives her feedback. He teaches her how to utilize certain weapons and skills that are designed for her more than trying to fit in and do what everyone else is doing. Cause she's not like everyone else. She's a lot smaller. She has ailments and his encouragement and his ability to teach her how to do things or, or to, to work at things at her own skill level is a huge factor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely the intelligence factor helps her a lot because she's able to work through things mentally that other writers are not. She's mm-hmm. book smart too. In addition to all the training where they just had the training um, physically, you know what I mean? To be prepared for this. She's not prepared at all for the writer's program. She was thrown into it. Yeah. Um, so all of that's new to her. But yeah, I her working with Rhiannon, because we, we get um, an idea that Rhiannon's been basically training her whole life for this. Um, so she's mm-hmm. a good fighter. You know, she definitely works with her as well. And Rhiannon lacks the intelligence factor. She wasn't trained to be a scribe. So um, both of them helping each other. And if you haven't read this too, I mean, Violet basically helps her. Um, there's something in the beginning called a, a parapet. It's the first uh, challenge that they have. And it's this long um thin walkway that they have to walk across and it's like hundreds of feet below and if they fall they fall to their death um and she notices as soon as Rhiannon's about to walk across that Rhiannon has boots that are slippery and it's raining so she offers to trade a boot with her <laughs> she takes one of hers and gives one of her more stable boots to Rhiannon and because of that Rhiannon's very um she's very loyal to her because she saved her life she helped yeah. and she didn't have to do that yeah. Um, so that also shows Violet's character as well. I was just going to say, I think that 
she she is she's compassionate she's also in my opinion a natural leader she does know when to help her peers and when to challenge them she also does develop this very loyal little group of of first years and there's some second years thrown in and then I don't know if there's any other third years besides Zayden, who is kind of in her circle, but they're all very loyal to her. Rhiannon, Riddick, Sawyer, they would all really go to bat for her if they needed to. And it's really nice to see that, especially when we are talking about an underdog. Definitely, definitely all factors that helped her to succeed. So I know we've kind of touched on Dane a little bit and his lack of helpfulness, but Dane is Violet's best friend since childhood. He insists on trying to protect her and attempts to convince her to leave the writer's quadrant and join the scribes. He even goes so far as to make arrangements for that behind her back. Why do you think he feels the need to protect Violet? And do you think his efforts are beneficial or harmful to her? Okay, so the term best friend is debatable because a best friend is going to support you and encourage you. And he does none of those things. He is... The second she gets there, he's like, all right, well, you know, we're going to bring you down to the scribes, uh, you know, quadrant and make sure that you get accepted there. There's still time. It's like, well, let's like, see what she does first. You know what I mean? Like, have a little faith in your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I don't like that he also does other things behind her back. It makes him not trustworthy to me. Um, he feels, I guess, the need to protect her. He knows her his whole life. He knows she's, I guess, frail or smaller than the others. Um but then again, like there's classmates that are, you know, looking down on her for being those traits. And mm-hmm. he's not supposed to be that type of person. He's supposed to be somebody in her life that's a friend. <laughs> and he's not doing that. Um, so why does he feel the need to protect her? Maybe he likes her. <laughs> um, but he doesn't he does a horrible job of showing it if, if if he does. I think his efforts are harmful to Violet. I think they do nothing to help her succeed. And I think if anything, if she would have listened to him and actually taken his advice, quote advice, seriously, it would only set her back. Yeah. Yeah. I get why he wants to protect her. I imagine they don't really get into their backstory so much in terms of what their friendship or their relationship was like prior to being in Basque for college. But I know that they they grew up together and their parents were both stationed there. Yes. That's what we know. Yeah, but what I would assume is that he was always kind of protecting Violet and he was always the big strong guy and she was always this frail young girl. And that's just the role that he always played in relation to Violet was he was the big strong protector and she was the frail girl who needed the protecting. She was going to be a scribe. So I think having her come into now this very different world, their relationship needed to shift because A, she can't have somebody constantly protecting her because it undermines her own abilities. It makes her look weaker to the other cadets and it puts an even bigger target on her back. And in that way, I believe it is very harmful to Violet. In addition to what you said, where it doesn't help her to learn anything. It doesn't help her to grow. He doesn't do anything to help her succeed besides try to send her back to the scribes. Working behind her back is completely unacceptable. A best friend Mm -hmm shouldn't have to work behind your back. If you're concerned about somebody, you, especially, you know, big, strong man, you should be able to sit down with that friend and say, Hey, I'm concerned about you. This is how I feel about it. What do you think? Where are you at? How can I help you? Don't just be going behind your back and saying, I made arrangements for you. I don't want them to heal you. Choose the smaller dragon. All of this stuff that is really not 
supporting Violet. It's not empowering Violet. And it's just really not the kind of thing that you would want to see from a friend. And I think that the problem is that the dynamics of their friendship just don't work in this world and they don't work for the, this new growth that Violet goes through um, because she really does kind of grow into herself in many ways. This is kind of a, a coming of age story in a sense where she, she really finds out who she is and what her skills are and what she's capable of. And he does nothing but hold her back and tries to keep her as this weak scribe girl who is not capable of anything more. Right. And it comes to, it comes down to it too. Is that what he sees? Yeah. You know what I mean? He's this, like you said, big, strong guy. He's protecting this little girl. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, he, he annoys me so much, <laughs> but I feel like he's holding her back maybe because he might be, feel threatened because she's got the brains too. Maybe she doesn't have the brawn, but she's building it. You know what I mean? At least give the girl some, some courage, have faith in her that she's in this predicament that she's not getting out of it. She doesn't want to get out of it. She wants to be a writer. So encourage her, help her. He, not once, I don't think, does he get on the mat and help her? What no. does he do to help her? What kind of, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's a friend, but what has he done really mm-hmm. um, so far to, to encourage and help her? I, I haven't seen anything. No. All he tries to do is get her to a different quadrant and make her, you know, quit. Yeah. You know. And Ugh. I do think he cares about her, but there's actually a quote from, I know you haven't read this yet, but the Akatar series, where my Akatar people at, where I can't wait to read that. One of the characters says of a very similar Dane character, he says, um, it's not a matter of how much, or it's not a matter of whether or not he loves you. It's how much sometimes love can be dangerous, or I, I don't remember the exact term that he uses, but I think that's Dane's issue is that he does care about Violet. He doesn't want to see her hurt. And his feelings about that are more important to him than actually what Violet can do to, to get stronger and to grow. Instead, it's all about, well, I can't see you get hurt. I can't see you fail. I can't see you die without taking into account what Violet wants. And he never once asks her, he never once asks her what she wants. He only makes the decisions for her and then, you know, gets upset when she gets upset. Which is right. always ironic. And that's what makes me confused about him too. Like if you're her friends, you know, like how come you're not considering her feelings and considering what she wants in life? Instead, you're only being selfish about what you want for her. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Meh. You said dangerous and it has his name in it. He's Dane. <laughs> Do I get time? I, I, I don't think that was the <laughs> word that was used. I just I can't, I'm bad with quotes and things like that. I always get them wrong, but it's something along those lines. But you're right. But Dane is not dangerous. Screw, no, no, screw no. Dane. We're dangerous to her. <laughs> yeah. He's yes. a dangerous friend. He is a dangerous I, friend. Shake him off. <laughs> so Mira and Dane both tell Violet that Satan is dangerous and that he wants to kill her. And mm-hmm. we understand that there's this ad, uh, adversity between them and, and animosity because of the issues between their parents and her brother. But he does provide her assistance consistently throughout the first half of the book. Why do you think he doesn't kill her even when he is given that opportunity? So one of my favorite parts so far of the book is when she sees him for the first time and she says, oh, she hears his name and she's like, oh, this is who my sister warned me about. Um, But she's like, he's the most beautiful man I've ever seen. Um, And he stares at her, too. So I don't know yet, but maybe we get the feeling kind of that he feels the same way. He's, you know, awestruck by her. 
Um, so I think because he sees her and she's different than everyone else and, you know, it makes her interesting. I, I think he also sees a spark in her that Dane just doesn't see and that maybe everyone else doesn't see as well around her, her sister and whoever else. Um, when she's hiding in the tree and she's, you know, she gets caught by him, even though she's invisible wearing a cloak. <laughs> um, he kind of gets the sense that she's there and he he sees her. Um, so I think the the whole point is that he sees her for what she really is before she even sees herself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he sees in her something and he wants to help her rather than Dane, who refuses to see anything more than the girl, the childhood girl that he grew up with. Um, instead of trying to save her, he realizes this girl doesn't need me to save her. She could save herself. I just have mm-hmm. to give her a little push. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's why he doesn't kill her. I just think he finds something in her interesting and he wants to help her. Um, mm-hmm. And we love that. We love you, Satan. <laughs> Uh, I just want to say she wasn't invisible, by the way, in that scene. Oh, she had a she, cloak in, in the tree. Yeah, she, yeah was, she, she was like hidden by the shadows. Yeah. But as we know, uh, uh, Zayden controls shadows. So, yeah. so as much as she thought luck. she was hiding, uh, she <laughs> <Yeah>. wasn't. <laughs> could not evade Zayden um, yeah. because of his abilities. But but yeah. I, I do agree with you. There's definitely some type of draw between the two, some type of connection that I I would think we're going to see unfold throughout the rest of the novel. And I also think that he does see more to her than, than certainly than Dane. I mean, that that goes without saying, but I think for one, he doesn't really know Violet outside of Best Guy at War College. So if we're comparing Zayden and Dane, Dane had this preconceived notion about Violet based on his previous experiences with her. Zayden doesn't really know anything about her aside from the fact that she's very small she is fragile, you know, quote unquote fragile. That's how she's described in the book, in case anybody is wondering why I keep saying that. But she she does have an illness where her joints um, typically will get dislocated. She breaks bones very easily. She bruises easily. It's it's supposed to be the same condition that Rebecca Yaros herself has, but it's not specifically named in the novel. But Zayden, I think, sees past that. I, I think he he respects Violet in many ways. I think from the first day when she's on the mat with Imogen and everybody's telling her to yield, 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 and she just refuses because she knows that it'll put an even bigger target on her back. And it ends with her literally pulling her, her shoulder out of the socket. She breaks her arm and she doesn't complain about it. And she comes back and she gets right back into it. And I think that he recognizes that as a strength where other people yes. are seeing it as a weakness. And I think he's right in, in recognizing that because it does take a lot of strength. If somebody's yanking on my arms to the point where you're about to pull the shoulder out, ain't no way I'm not yielding. Right. <laughs> There's just no way. Right. Look at me as weak. I don't care. Do not pull my, <laughs> my shoulder out of its socket. Um, and, you know, to piggyback off what you said, um, because you're right, Dane sees her as weak. He does not. You know, I think he's impressed by this little girl who's throwing daggers at his face you know, throwing him at his head she's not intimidated by him everybody yeah. seems to be because he's this big guy um you know and he seems you know like he's like a presence like you know fearful yeah. um he's got shadows wielders you know wielding shadows and like he's not she's not intimidated by him she doesn't back down to him and i think he likes that um yeah. that she shows no fear even though she may be fearful and he may he may you know sense that um, but she definitely doesn't back down. And I think that's why she's like this little warrior and he wants to help her grow into the warrior she can be. Um, and also I love that he nicknames her violence. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, she's this little girl that nobody sees as violent, but um, yeah. 
you know, it's like a play on her name. And I, I think that's kind of cool that yeah. he does that. I, I agree with you too, that I think she, I mean, she flat out says to him in that scene when he catches her in the tree, he says, or she says to him, well, aren't you going to kill me? If so, like, just get it over with. And he's just like, no, nah, not right now. It's no fun <laughs> if you see it coming, you know? And I think he kind of finds it funny. Uh, and it was kind of funny. I was like, yeah. But we Challenge do have him. this little. <laughs> he says he's gonna kill you. Let's let's go. Kill me. Let's go. What do you got? Um... So what what's interesting is the scene right before he catches her in the tree. Though she's overhearing uh, like a meeting um, mm-hmm. between him and the other marked ones, um, and you know he's talking about everybody's saying, "Well, we got to get rid of uh, General Sorengale's daughter. She's a threat." And he's like, "Let me handle her." So yeah. that's interesting to see where that's gonna go. How is he gonna handle her? You know what I mean? Or if he's just trying to evade it so this way he can protect her because he sees something no one else sees yet you know yeah oh, and I do think he also recognizes how you mentioned earlier that she does have this kind of kinship with the marked ones because she did not choose to be there right. I think he recognizes that as well because you know from the very first day that they're in classes everybody's talking about how she was supposed to be in the scribe quadrant she was supposed to be their star pupil and instead she's she's here so I think right. he kind of recognizes that as well and then sees her, the fight in her. And maybe he he just thinks it's interesting that she's in a similar position and she still is trying to fight. Also, yeah. you know, he had an issue with the the children of the marked being, you know. Um, People are prejudiced against them. No, well, I and was going to say that the there was the prejudice. issue with them being punished for the crimes of their parents. And it's kind of the same thing with Violet, right. even though it's it not so much the the crimes of her mother but you know she was forced, she, she was forced into this by her mother and maybe Zayden right. thinks I shouldn't do what her mother did and try to kill her just because I'm upset with her mother you know her Violet had nothing to do with it so right. even though it would certainly send a message to her mother I think that maybe that's going on in the back of his head as well yeah his cousin also at that meeting is, is level-headed or seems level-headed because he says uh you know those are the crimes of her mother in other words, like we're here because of the crimes of our parents or, you know, quote, crimes of their parents um, that we don't know about yet for, you know. Yeah, that was actually Garrick, book, but uh, who says, oh, Garrick that? says it? Yeah, that's his cousin, right? No, Brody is his. cousin. Oh, OK. Yeah. Brody, right. Garrick is the section leader. He's like his second in command. But okay. but yeah, he, he, he does. I know. I, I thought that, too, during that meeting where he's like, hey, just so you guys know, like she doesn't want to be here either. She didn't choose to be here, e- be here either. You know, like give her give her a break <laughs> Cut yeah. her some slack. Some, I like that because maybe he's seen something too yeah um, yeah so that's good yay Violet yay <laughs> so <laughs> Violet is considered to be the most clever and intelligent woman in the writer's quadrant and she was also supposed to be the star pupil in the scribes quadrant so not only the smartest person with the writers but also the smartest of the smartest in what ways right. do we see this throughout the first half of the novel and how does her intelligence help her to find success? Well, she's always working through things logically. Um, so we see that where everybody's automatically thinking, you know, kill <laughs> or physical violence. You know, she's actually working <laughs> through things. Um, I think the, the main way that we see that, too, is that right before she goes through a fight, she thinks I can't beat this person. So she poisons them, not in a way that will kill them, but something that will you know, make them weaker so that she'll have a fighting chance. Yeah. Um, and nobody else was doing something like that so I think that that part gives her an edge um you know I definitely see that 
I also see, we also see her working through things. She's always figuring out how, you know, I can't really do this based on my size. Like when she's doing, I forgot what it's called, but that, um, that challenge, do you remember what it's called? Mm -hmm. Yes. The gauntlet. So she knows that she's too short and I have this problem. Like (laughs) totally get this. Um, but she's too short to make like a a big jump. Mm -hmm. Um, so she figures out a way to do it, um, where she, you know, incorporates not breaking the rules, but stretching them a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, bending the rules just a little bit to, to make it easier for her to compete. Um, and that works well for her as well. So she's always logically trying to think through what she can can do um, to make up for the fact that she her body isn't built to be a rider. Mm-hmm. Um, so her brain definitely helps her and definitely shines and, and is what gets her through all of those challenges, in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely think we see her intelligence in not I mean, it's not battle, but in the uh, what what are they the the. What do they call them? But when they're fighting each other on on the mats, on the mat, yeah, I, they have a name for it, but I can't remember. But they, um, like you mentioned, she finds a way to get an advantage, and that's to slowly poison them just a little bit to incapacitate them enough so that she can come out of that alive, basically. Yes. And I thought it smart. was I thought it was funny because they kind of set this up right from the very start where she and Mira are packing her, her pack to, to head off to the writer's quadrant. And she's trying to take all these books with her. Mira's like, you can't take all these books. You're going to fall off the parapet. Like it's not going to help you. You need to let them go. But she decides to keep the one book and it's the book on poisons. And I think that shows that she is clever. She knew this is something that's going to help me. It's coming with me. The other one's fine. We can leave these behind, but this one comes with me because I might need this. And that's great forethought. Um, and I think it shows some critical thinking also during the classes when they're reviewing battle briefs and, and the different strategies that are being utilized. We see her working through some questions that, you know, some of the other classmates kind of make fun of her for, but then it turns out they were the right questions to be asking. And there's other things, uh, the gauntlet you mentioned, I really liked that whole thing because she didn't she didn't break the rules. There was one part where she got like a bit of a penalty for using a rope, but then the other part, technically it wasn't breaking the rules at all. It was just using the rules to her advantage. So I thought that that was really clever. And I think that it also helps her in her bonding with the dragons as well. I think her dragon Taryn specifically recognizes the the intelligence in her and I think it makes him want to bond with her even more uh because she's obviously pretty brave and we'll probably get to this in a little bit but when she is you know fighting off these three big dudes to try to protect this tiny little dragon that's very brave and I think that he liked that but I think he also knows how intelligent she is and he 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 respects that and he wants to be bonded to somebody who is intelligent and not just brave, not just a brute, not just a warrior, but somebody who has the potential to lead in the future. And I think that that's what her intelligence will be her biggest asset in is leading. Yeah, we'll zip lock that because I definitely want to dive into the dragon conversation. Yeah, <laughs> we do. I have a question for it later on. So we definitely no. get into it. <laughs> we we kind of touched on this a little bit. We definitely went through it oui, during oui. the... Oui, oui. 
Uh, <laughs> we went through it in the author bio a bit, but it is indicated in the first chapter that Violet was born with a chronic illness that results in chronic pain, weak joints and bones, dizziness, and that she's, she has easily bruised skin or just in general is easily wounded. Rebecca Yaros and several of her children have been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and she has disclosed that it was important for this to be represented in the novel. What do you think of this choice, and does it impact your opinion of Violet at all? So I think it's interesting because they say, as an author, write what you know. So I think it's interesting that she wanted to create a character that's, you know, has that syndrome. She wants to get that message about that syndrome. I didn't know it existed until I read, you know, about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good that she she spreads that awareness. Um, and I think it's interesting because not only does it make her, you know, cause I think it said her mother had a fever or something and that's why, yeah. um, you know, that's why she has this. So, you know, not only does she appear smaller and does she appear, you know, not as, um, built in the ways that the other writers are, um, but she also has this, which makes it a little more difficult. She has to fight, you know, twice as hard, if not more, um, mm-hmm. to compete with everyone. And she has more of a chance of breaking bones or, you know, by the simplest things, she's, she's easily breakable. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she's, uh, fra- fra- frangible, frangible, <laughs> she's <yes>. frangible. <laughs> um, yeah, she's a little bit frangible. So, um, does it impact, impact my opinion of Violet? Uh, I think it, you know, Violet having this her whole life, she, she was aware she was different. She knows that she, you know, that's why her father probably wanted her to be safe you know in, a, in the scribe mm-hmm. quadrant um but i think it makes that uh that decision to put her in the scribe training i think that that impacts um you know who she is in the in the writer's quadrant um it doesn't impact my opinion of her um i think that um you know it just again makes her the underdog and and to me i want her to succeed i root for her <laughs> so yeah. i don't know how do you feel Yeah, I like that Rebecca Yaros wanted to include this into the book. As somebody that does also have a chronic illness, I think it's always nice to see that represented in novels. You really don't see this particularly in fantasy novels. It's always, they're pretty strong, they have a special ability, and they don't really have to have that everyday struggle of some type of chronic disease or illness that holds them back in ways. So I like to see that representation in the book. And I think Rebecca Yaros really thought about representation in several areas, which I appreciate in this book. We have um, her, her deaf friend. So we have that represented in the book as well as some other things. Does it impact my opinion of Violet? So yes, because I actually didn't, my first, I, I read this a couple of times and the first time I didn't realize that she had an illness. I thought she just was a frail girl <laughs> that I didn't think it, after I read it the second time, I was like, oh, they do mention here that she has, you know, there's a reason that she is the way that she is, but I just thought that she was just a frail person. And that's just how right. she, she was. I didn't realize that she had an illness. Um, I do think right. I, yeah, I wish that had been maybe explored or explained a little bit better or even brought up a little bit more, but I do, it did make me like that better about Violet because it does show once again, the fight in her, that she is in constant chronic pain. She does have these issues that in the writer's quadrant are going to be a huge detriment to her, like weak bones and joints. No wonder why she's going to break so easily. She does get dizzy, which is an issue with the parapet. She gets easily bruised. She has trouble healing, things like that. Um, so it does make me want to root for her more. It does make me more proud of her throughout the book because 
not only does she already have these other disadvantages, but then she has this on top of it. And it just really demonstrates how much of a fighter she is and how resilient she is. Yeah. And, and despite her perceived, you know, weakness and her small stature, um, Violet actually bonds with not one, but two dragons. Mm-hmm. So go Violet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the smallest and the largest ones in the group. Um, the smallest being um, Andarna, she she bonds with, and she also bonds with Tarn, who they said was like missing, I think, for a while um, and hasn't bonded with anyone in a long, long time. Um, so he comes out and, and he, you know, finds something in her that he w- he wants to bond. Yeah. He's, um, so why um, do you? Th- I was just going to say he's the, the largest dragon and his last bonded dragon died trying to save her brother in the battle five years prior to the novel. So and nobody has seen him since then. So bonded five, rider. Yeah, yeah. So for five years he hasn't been seen since his bonded rider also died. And also, again, he was trying to save Violet's brother at the time. Right. So why do you think Tarn decided to bond with Violet? And what do you think this says about Violet's character? Great I think question. yeah. I think Tarn, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I think he recognizes a lot of strengths in Violet and similar to Zayden, I think he he sees these strengths despite any of the weaknesses that other people seem to fixate on. So I think he recognizes her her courage and her bravery, especially because when he first comes across her, she's injured and she's fighting off these three big guys to protect this tiny little dragon, which is in Darna. And I think that he recognizes the intelligence in her. And I think that he also recognizes her potential to lead in the future. He himself is kind of a natural leader. I mean, he's a big ass, big ass dragon. (laughs) He's not taking orders really from anyone. And I think that in order to have him bond with Violet, he needed to be able to recognize that in her as well. And I think that that all speaks to Violet's character, that she is brave, she's courageous, she's intelligent, and she... She has characteristics that maybe some others lack where it comes to being able to to really get to know Tarn and to work with him. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think he definitely bonds with her because he he witnesses her, you know, trying to save this little dragon that everybody, um, these three men uh, try to to harm. Um, She, you know, risks her life knowing that she's outnumbered to try and save this dragon's life. So, you know, he has mad respect because he's like, respect, <laughs> respect for the dragons. Um, I also think that being as old as he must be, um, he's like basically described as the leader of the dragons in a way. Um, you know, he's intelligent. He's seen a lot. He's learned a lot. And I, I think he recognizes some of himself maybe within her um, yeah. just based on the little interaction he has with her there. Um, yeah. So I think he has respect for her. I think that, you know, he notices, he sees maybe something in himself um, that that's why you would want to bond with somebody for sure. Um, and I love that. I love that for her. Um, what do I think it says about her character? I think that she was made to bond with him. Um, I was hoping that <laughs> they mentioned briefly that, uh, you know, this black dragon that nobody has seen in so so many years. And, um, you know, Jack was like, oh, I'm going to bond with him. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, I hate this guy. <laughs> um, he would have never bonded with you. Sorry, no. Jack. Um, <laughs> but I was hoping that he would just appear. And when we seen the the golden dragon and she was trying to save it and I said, oh, my God, OK, she's going to bond with this dragon. But I'm hoping maybe he'll turn into the black dragon because yeah. I was hoping and predicting that it would happen. And then all of a sudden he appeared and I was like, yes, I wasn't mad at it. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
I, I love that. Um, I, I think that it says to her, like he sees that he's a fighter and that she's a fighter and that they're going to mesh well together. So I really, yeah. Um, I really love that. I love that he bonds with her. I don't know. Yeah. I love the idea of her being the smallest cadet bonding with the largest dragon. I'm not sure actually yeah. if Tan is the largest or if Coda, uh, general Melgrins is actually the largest, but either way he's, He's either the largest or the second largest. And I just loved that idea. Yeah, and they're the I, same type of dragon, the yeah. same class of dragon. So, and I, I had know. the same thought when I was reading, I was like, oh, it would be cute if she bonded with the smallest dragon, but you know, she's the smallest, the smallest cadet, the smallest dragon. It would be great if this black dragon, I, I was like, they have to have brought this up for some reason. There's, you know, there has to be a reason why they just randomly mentioned this dragon. I was like, I bet he's going to come and she's going to bond with him because he's the biggest and she's the smallest. And it turned out she bonded with both of them. And I was, it was just a delight for me. I was like, yes. Yeah, that was such a great surprise. Um, <laughs> as soon as the, as soon as she had to list the name and say who she was bonded with as a dragon. And then all of a sudden in her head, because they appear in, in your minds, they telepathically speak to you, the dragon, when they choose you. She hears the golden dragon's na uh, name as well. Mm -hmm. And she's like, go ahead, tell them. So she gets to tell them. And all of a sudden it's like an uproar because there's never been two Brooke. dragons. Yeah. yeah, there's a Donnybrook <laughs> because there's never been, you know, two dragons choosing one rider, especially when there's so many, um, you know, unbonded uh, yeah. riders. So um, I just thought that was awesome. You know, this this little frail girl that they're like, oh, she's never going to amount to nothing. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, this little badass <laughs> yeah. gets two dragons, not one, but two. And I just... That was a great moment reading. Yeah, for me, it was. Um, I was very excited. Also, the little gold dragon sounds adorable. So I know <laughs> she sounds <does>. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I would have saved her too. Yeah. So oh. that brings us to threshing. So threshing is the procedure through which all of the cadets or the unbonded cadets go out into this open field and they try to find a dragon to bond with and hopefully the dragon agrees to bond with them and doesn't incinerate them in the process. But during this threshing, Violet does see Jack and his friends, Orin and Tynan, I believe, hunting down that small golden dragon who we later find out is Andarna. And she decides that she's going to confront them. What did you think of her decision? And why do you think that Zayden showed up to watch this conflict unfold? Okay, so I loved that decision um, because I was really excited for her to save this dragon. You know, why are they going to hurt this dragon? Why? Because you don't understand her. You know what I mean? Like, this is just showing how um, cruel that little group is, um, mm -hmm. that they're going to go try to kill a dragon instead of worry about bonding with the dragon. You know, their first instinct is to kill one. Like, really? Yeah. Um, so I love that she and it shows that this is in line with her character. I mean, she's the one that gave up a boot and risked her life on the parapet for somebody else. Of course, she's going to go out of her way to try to save this dragon. Um, so I loved that. I love that whole entire scene mm -hmm. um, with Zayden watching. Obviously, uh, he's a wing leader. He's not in a first year. He's not allowed to intervene. Um, they make that clear that he's allowed to watch, but he can't, you know, interrupt. Um, so him him watching the conflict unfold, I feel like he wanted to intervene, <laughs> but he just couldn't. Um, but he does in a way that he wasn't supposed to. He tells her, um, you know, not to, he tells her, like, look to your left or something, doesn't he? He, he like warns yeah. her about something. Yeah. And um, when they uh, confront him about it, he's like, 
I can't, I can't step in, but I, I'm allowed to, to commentate or something along those lines. I thought that was funny. Yeah. And then what's really interesting is that we find out later that his uh, Zayden's dragon is actually mated with Tarn. Um, yeah. So it's quite possible we don't get that, but it's quite possible that, um, you know, she was in his head saying, hey, you know, protect this dragon because yeah. they do have a relationship with the golden dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, she's a young dragon and they find out uh, like her parents, something happened to her parents. So they kind of take her under their wing, literally, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> um, so she does, you know, protect and look out for this dragon. So I think by her saying, look, oh, she's trying to help you know, Zayden get in there. Like, you know what I mean? She was yeah. maybe pushing him. Um, also, like we've been saying, uh, he kind of, you know, has this protective nature with her without letting him be the big guy that saves her. He lets her save herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of loved that he was there. What do yeah. you think of that? So when I first read this, there were a couple of thoughts in my head. One was he's there because he's not going to he recognizes that she's trying to save this little dragon and he also thinks it's unjust for these this group to do that and he wants to make sure that this dragon survives and in turn violet survives and that he would he would assist with that not, maybe not so much to be able to to engage in this donny brook but to maybe intimidate them i also then thought after after reading it that Sagal, Sagal was the one who wanted to protect the little dragon. She knew that this was going on. She came there and then I, I believe that she summoned Taren. I think that Taren may have been on his way already and then she just maybe pointed him in the right direction. And I did wonder at first if Zayden was maybe going to see if this was how Violet died and if he was going to see if it was what he really wanted to see if she did die, if this was really what he wanted, or if he wanted to be the one to do it, or if he just didn't want her to die at all. So I thought it was interesting that he chose to show up and watch the whole conflict, the whole Donnybrook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that Sigail had a lot to do with this. I, I think that she was the main the main force and Zayden goes where Sigail goes. That's but, correct. Violet does suggest that she believes Zayden made a move to step in during the conflict, despite this being against the rules. And basically the only reason he didn't, in her opinion, is because Taryn then showed up and I mean, it was all over for them at that point. Do you think he would have stepped in despite it being against the rules? And if so, why do you think that? Okay. So I think we've established that Dane is the rule follower, the rule abider, (laughs) Uh, and Zayden would be the one to break the rules and he wouldn't mm-hmm. care. Um, I think, you know, people look at him and they're like, oh, you're a traitor's son. So you're automatically going to be disloyal. So he looks at it like, you know what? If you think that about me, then why does well, I might as well be who you think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think had she been in a situation where she was in trouble, which we do see, he does break the rules slightly by bending it, by saying, you know, get out of the way or whatever. Um, I think if she was in a situation where the dragons didn't intervene and, and help her, uh, I think he probably would have killed every single one of those kids. I mm-hmm. think that he would have helped. Um, I think he would have had no problem breaking the rules. Uh, the good question is why, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why would he want to help her? Mm-hmm. And yes, we could think maybe he wants to kill her for himself, or we could think that he sees something 
also like Tarn did uh, of her in himself as well. Maybe he sees something that he hopes can, uh, I hate to say the word blossom after the last two novels, (laughs) but something that could grow in her that he can help. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I think, I think had he given the chance to, um, to become a part of that Donnybrook, he would have. Yeah. I think, I think he would have stepped in and, I think Zayden is also pretty intelligent and I think he, he kind of knows he would have been able to get away with it because a, these kids are out here trying to kill a dragon. Not only is it against the, the ethics of the school and the whole society, but I think he would have been able to make a good argument that he was there to protect the dragon and Violet happened to be trying to save the dragon as well. Plus I think, you know, it's the general's daughter. Oh, well, I wanted to save her, even though I, you know, he doesn't know General Serengale. And I don't think she would care or give him any leeway for that. But he might have thought, you know, if I step in to save her, people won't mind so much because she, you know, she could use the help sometimes in a situation like this. So I, I do think he would have stepped in for that for whatever reason. Maybe we'll find out. But I do think that he intended to. And the only reason he didn't is because Taryn showed up and he didn't he didn't have to. Right. And I think you make a great point, too, that uh, Jack and those boys were breaking the rules by trying to harm a dragon. So yeah. had he stepped in, I think that he could have made a great argument. And um, also, I think they would have sided with him. I have to say, it's so ironic that they're out here trying to bond with the dragon. But before they do that, they're going to kill one. What makes you, th- I, I found it, this actually bothered me a little bit in the book. I didn't understand why any dragon would bond with Jack after he tried to do that. Cause he was the ringleader here. Why would they want to bond with him after that? When they're trying to kill the weakest of them. That's just seems. Yeah, I agree. Know. And in that fight, he ran away like screaming and crying. Like a little bitch. Um, whereas Oren was still fighting, but he got knocked out and then a, a dragon wouldn't bond with him. Mm-hmm. So I did find it the same as you, Odd, that um, Jack did. But I think they say something along the lines of Jack is kind of like a warrior. He's a brutal fighter. And that, you know, that particular dragon that he bonded with, I don't know his name, the dragon. It eludes me at the moment. I think the dragon's red or brown. But um, that that dragon seen something in him that I guess was worth bonding over. I don't know. I think he bonded with an orange scorpion tail. I think you're right. Yeah. might have been red um but I, yeah i i get it oh but they I, did say uh, they did make note that it's the smallest dragon so in other words like he got yeah. like the weakest dragon like it's ironic that yeah. he thought that he deserved the biggest dragon and she would have deserved the weakest no and he got stuck with the weakest little, he's a little bitch but that's the thing is you know he he's big and tough and mighty when it comes to bullying somebody that's weaker than him but as soon as the the fight gets leveled, he takes himself out of it. He won't even try at that point because he's worried that he'll lose. And I think that says a lot about his character. And Oren, you know, the one that got knocked out, he was weak. And I don't think the only reason that he didn't bond is because he was knocked out. I think it's also because he was just a follower. He didn't really do anything. He even seemed skeptical about the whole thing with trying to kill Andarna, but he just went along with it because Jack and Tynan were like, you need to do this, dude. And so he did. So if I was a dragon, I'd be like, you don't even have any thoughts for yourself. I'm not bonding with you. You're a little, <laughs> you're also a little bitch. <laughs> a little biatch. Yeah. So, 
So uh, when, well, it, when it comes uh, when it ahead. comes to Violet's bully, mm-hmm. uh, Jack, who we've been discussing, mm-hmm. Zayden encourages Violet to fight back while Dane ugh, recommends that she keep quiet and not create any waves. So what do you think of each piece of advice and which one do you agree with and which one would you use? This advice from Dane is terrible. You're not in a place where laying low is going to win you any success. It's not going to help you in any way. This is a place where the toughest of the tough duke it out. (laughs) To use like an old term. Yeah, survival of the fittest. Yeah, you know, you have to fight your way through this, this quadrant and laying low and just letting Dane protect you or pretend to protect you is not going to help you at all. Fighting back shows them that you're not some, wait for it, shrinking violet. You're a tough biatch. You're going to fight back. You're not going to be easy to kill. You're not somebody that can just be taken out. And I think that it's pretty clear. I agree with Zayden's advice. If somebody's bullying you, you need to put them in their place. You need to tell them, I'm not necessarily saying you need to be violent, but you need to show them that they can't just mess with you and expect it to be okay. Because by doing nothing, you're giving them the impression that you're allowed to treat me this way. And that's just not the case. I would definitely use Zayden's advice. There's no way I would keep my mouth shut or try to lay low when it came to, to this situation. I would definitely be throwing daggers or at least running my mouth and whether it gets me killed or not, you know, we'll see, but I I don't think I would just be keeping quiet and allowing people to treat me that way. Oh, I agree. Um, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I also think that this ties back to like the old school patriarchal notions. I think that Dane represents the old school, you know, women should be seen and not heard. And, you know, him saying to her like, Oh, you know, keep quiet lay low. That's not going to help her in battle. She's on this path. He still wants her. He gives her the out and says, you could still be a scribe. You know, he's always trying to give her the out rather than saying like, all right, well, I'm supporting what you want because I see that you want to be a writer. So let me help you. He's not helping her. Instead, he's holding her back, like I said. And the whole idea of keeping her quiet definitely represents that old school notion of, of keep a woman quiet. Whereas Zayden encouraging her to not keep quiet you know, to be a little spark to, you know, to make waves, to make changes represents, you know, women coming out of that and saying, no, mm-hmm. we're here. Uh, we do have voices too. You know, we're not just going to think how we're supposed to think. Um, so not to get all like feminist on you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of reminds me of that. You know what I mean? So obviously yeah. I'm going to agree with Zayden's piece of advice and not Zane, uh, Zane, <laughs> not Dane. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't like him. I don't even think of his name. <laughs> No, um, I'm not going to agree with Dane there because I feel like, um, you know, she's not going back to the old ways, no matter how much you want her to. She's going to grow and become who she's meant to be. Yeah. Um, so and I, I really I, think I, Dane thought she wasn't capable of fighting back. And by encouraging her to keep quiet, it just really in- reinforces this perception that she is weak. Whereas Zayden's advice is you're strong, show them that you're strong. Don't let them take advantage of you and don't let them call you weak. And, you know, I think that that says a lot about their characters as well. Exactly. Because when push comes to shove, you know, like if she's involved in an actual Donnie Brook, you know, with Zayden 
helping and encouraging her, she'll make it through and she'll fight back. Whereas Dane is going to make her just become squashed by the Donnybrook and, you know, not, not excel. Um, there's, there would be no fight in her if she just went and, and quit and decided to go back to being a scribe. So that I, I a hundred percent, once again, agree with Zayden. <laughs> His advice is the one. <laughs> so speaking so- of Zayden, when the, the unbonded first years enter Violet's room, intent on killing her and taking her dragon as if Taryn would just, you know, go with them, but right. You know, as they don't know that. Please. Yeah, he would never. No. But Satan does arrive to protect her. Fortunately, with the help of Andarna, who can stop time through Violet, Ooh, Violet was able to awesome. stop time. Violet is able to escape death without his assistance. But why do you think he arrived to protect her? And just in general, what did you think of this scene? So I loved this scene. Um, this was definitely one of my favorite scenes. Uh, you know, Oren is hilarious thinking that Tarn who watched him, uh, you know, try to kill Antarna, would take his bond if he killed uh, the one that he chose, please. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, I really loved that Zayden did show up. I think that Scale was behind that. I think, um, you know, Tarn and Scale being very close, maybe Tarn gave that information to Scale and Scale moved it to, you know, um, to Zayden. And Zayden was like, well, I'll help protect her. Um, I thought that that was pretty cool that they're all tied together like that. I thought the scene was awesome. I love the fact that Andarna gave her the ability to stop time. How cool is that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I really pictured it in my head how she, you know, just moved past them real quick and then it started again. And it's like, whoa, how'd she get over there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just awesome. thought that the whole scene was really awesome. Yeah. So I I agree. I think that Zayden was given a heads up. I, I think even Taryn kind of explains to her, no, I guess he doesn't, but he's just like, I'm too far away. And I think at that point in my head, I was like, he's going to send Sigal, he's going to send Zayden. And he did. Uh, <laughs> but also they do mention throughout the first half of this, well, after Violet bonds with Taryn and it's discovered that he is bonded with Scale, it is mentioned that they are a bonded pair. So they don't really explain why in the book, but they do suggest that if Violet were to die, Zayden would die. I wish we had gotten more of a reason for that because I didn't really think it was explained, but there is this belief for Zayden and Violet that if one of them dies, the other one will die. So I do think to some extent he's there, like, I can't let her die because then I'll die. Also, right. he does we believe seem, that to be true. He does. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They, like I said, says they, it, they don't so. they don't really explain it so yeah we're not I, sure yet yeah I think he also wanted to protect her aside from that I think that he's grown pretty fond of Violet and I think that he was mad that she was attacked in an illegal way you're not allowed to attack another cadet while they're sleeping mm-hmm. and so dirty it, it, it's also very cowardly and I think he doesn't like that he's a very in-your-face direct person and I think anybody that is sneaky and can't fight somebody face to face they need to take them when they're vulnerable I think he just really despises that and wasn't going to let that happen to Violet I also loved the scene the whole thing with Andarna I was like yes oh my god (laughs) what's going on this is awesome yeah (laughs) it was so fun to read that whole scene was great it was really cool I also loved I loved to see Zayden show up to try to protect her but I loved that she didn't need him to 
And I love that he got to witness it and was like, what the fuck just happened? Because two seconds ago yeah. you were over there and now you're standing next to me and what the hell. But it right. was just, yep. I, I, I loved that. I loved that he he was there and he had every intention of protecting her and she in the end didn't need it but then was able also to get the support from him afterwards because she was pretty shaken up by the whole thing he ended up slaughtering every single person in that room there were six of them total and she was very shaken by the whole experience which I don't blame her and it was nice to see the support from him following that as well um yeah he does he comes in and he he literally kills every single one of them and she wouldn't have been able to do that and maybe they would have attacked her again but the fact that um they did it in such an illegal way um it's kind of like you know the 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 sucker puncher you know basically like just attacking her while she's asleep attacking her when her guards down thank god she was still wearing her armor to sleep um because that saved her um but the whole you know uh, he definitely was alarmed when he was like, "How you, you were there and now you're here, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he does learn um, why, uh, yeah. which we, which I liked. Um, but yeah, right know. at the end of this first half of the book, we find out that Andarna as a hatchling is able to, while she can't channel her power through Violet, who would then use a signet to control the power, she can give her direct powers to violet and her direct power as a hatchling right now is that she can stop time uh well she's not really a hatchling she's two years old but i think they refer to her as a hatchling because she's so young she's She's a baby yeah um so i thought that that was just really cool to learn about it was really interesting the whole that whole series right up until we had to stop reading i was like oh come on i want more (laughs) (laughs) so what i love too is um it also gives us you know, because we keep getting toyed with with Zayden. Does he want to kill her? Does he not? Is he playing her? Is he not? So yeah. I think like, you know, this will help p- prove that too. Um, because A, he didn't have to kill all of them and protect her. Um, yeah, maybe he's doing it for his own interest if they are bonded like that, like tied to each other. You know, if one dies, the other dies. Um, but I think it'll be interesting going forward to see if he keeps her secret. Yeah. You know, um, she's kept his secret about his hidden meetings. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so it's interesting to see if he'll keep her secret because it, they make it clear that um, this is something that you really can't have. You can't be messing with time. Um, this isn't a, a a power that, you know, would be acceptable or deemed, you know, acceptable. It's kind of illegal in its own right um, because you're messing with time. So mm-hmm. I think um, we had seen. So when he when um, we do see a scene where um, I think it's Professor Carr. Yeah, he comes his name is Professor, right? Yeah, Professor Carr. Um, he comes and he breaks this student, Jer- Jeremiah, I think his name was. Mm-hmm. He breaks his neck in front of everyone because he starts to hear people's thoughts. Um, and that's something that is, you know, not accepted because obviously you can't have everybody listening to your, you know, somebody listening to everybody's thoughts. It's a security um, issue. Yeah. It's a security issue. So this might be also deemed a security issue. So hopefully, you know, now that Zayden knows he won't blow up her spot, this would be a good way to have her killed if that's what he wants. So, um, yeah, well, it's interesting not, to see how it's that not unfolds. only something that could be potentially harmful to Violet, but Taryn also explains that the secrets of their the dragons, their young, cannot be disclosed to. They're, they're kept hidden for a reason. So nobody really knows anything about Feather Tails or the baby dragons for a reason. And right. so he he forbids them as well from talking about it to anyone outside of the two of them, Taryn, Sigal, and uh, Andarna. 
So right. I thought that that was interesting too, is that it's not just a secret for Violet, but it's also a secret for Dragonkind. And it's made very explicit by Taryn that the humans do not have the right to this knowledge. But yeah. it is definitely a good test for for both of them to see, you know, we each have a secret about the other now and are we going to keep it? <laughs> I also wanted to mention well, you you said earlier that you didn't think she'd be able to kill them when they were attacking her and you're absolutely right. They actually she's in the book, she the woman that is attacking her that actually stabs her but she's protected by the armor she could make a killing blow and she chooses to to hit her in the shoulder instead. And that's kind of her, that's right. Her target of choice. Whenever she wants to right. incapacitate a, an opponent, she doesn't go, she for goes, the for, kill. The, she right. goes for the shoulder and she did the same thing to Jack when she was defending Andarna as well. So I thought so that it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if um, Violet ever does get like does kill. Um, Cause I don't know, as of right now, she, you know, she's definitely not the one that would have it in her. Um, mm -hmm. but she's, she might be faced with something that she might have to. So we'll, we'll have to see. I but think she has it of, in her. She just hasn't, it, she hasn't had that trigger yet. I think everybody yeah. she hasn't has tapped a trigger. into it yet. Yeah. The book does explore themes of strengths and weaknesses. I mean, we've been talking about them. Mm -hmm. Um, in what ways do you see this throughout the novel? And what do you think Rebecca Yaros, Becky, Becky, Yara is trying to say about this theme? So I agree. I think that this is something that we've talked a lot about so far, but it's it's very apparent in Violet's character in terms of what is a strength and what is a weakness. And I love that Rebecca Yaros plays with this idea in the novel that what you might think is a weakness, like perhaps your hesitancy to kill someone might actually be a strength in the end. And just because somebody seems weak doesn't mean that they don't have other strengths Physical weakness does not mean that you as a person are weak. There are many other dimensions of strength. And I think that we see that so much with Violet in particular, where we see her intelligence, we see her leadership skills, we see her ability to have compassion for people that she's close with and for her enemies. And I think that it says a lot about Rebecca Yaros and maybe her personal experiences have helped her to develop this idea that one weakness does not define you as a person and that people are just more complex than that. And there's always going to be a balance of strength and weakness. And I think once again, we just see that consistently in the character of Violet throughout the, at least the first half of this book. Yeah, I agree with you. I really love that, um, that Yaros, you know, sends that message. And of course, I'm, like you said, I'm sure it comes from a place where maybe she felt weak or at least um, maybe defined or, or, you know, contained by her, what people may deem weaknesses by her illness. Um, and, you know, she just wants to play on that and make it more of a strength or show that she's going to work harder, Violet. You know, it, it's not so much a weakness when she's working twice as hard as everybody else and she's going to, you know, yield better results perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think, uh, I think you definitely covered it with Violet and I agree with you. And I think maybe just to pull in Zayden, Zayden comes in where, you see him as fully strength, but he does have weaknesses. And I think we're starting to unfold maybe that Violet might be one of his weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, who knows? Uh, you know, perhaps now that if they are really bound to one another and, you know, his life depends on her life, um, then obviously she's going to be a weakness for him um, if he has a will to survive. 
And also, you know, he may have some weaknesses and that he's, you know, being judged all the time for the actions of his parents, you know, or actions of his father. Um, and that doesn't define him. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, obviously he has more strength. Maybe if we learn a little backstory about him, maybe that's what his drive is. Maybe that's what is his willpower and makes him want to be, you know, stronger and show that he's not weak or weakened by his experiences as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, I really love that she explores this theme and I I think it's definitely apparent throughout the, you know, at least the half that we read so far. So, yeah, I agree that Zayden has weaknesses. I, I think that his biggest weakness is, his hesitancy to let people in and he he keeps his thoughts and his emotions very very close he is often described as kind of inscrutable she doesn't really know what he's thinking or how he's feeling and I think that that is likely how most people feel about him and I think that in many ways that can be a weakness despite his physical strength I agree yeah, because he's the complete opposite of Violet, right? He's he's strong and he's depicted as strong. People see him as strong mm-hmm. and they view her as weak. So, you know, it's not necessarily um, his strength that defines him either. He does have weaknesses. No one's perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, looking at you. Looking at you, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> not everybody's perfect. All right. Um, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So each chapter of Fourth Wing starts out with a quote. Sometimes it's from Brennan's journal. Sometimes it's from letters between generals. Sometimes it is from textbooks written in this universe. What do you think about the use of these quotes at the start of each chapter? I love it. It's kind of like a little sum up of what I'm going to expect in the chapter. You know, it gets me excited for the chapter. It's like, oh, you know, uh, they, they talk about, you know, I think for the dragon one, basically what happens when you your dragon chooses you or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be the chapter with the dragons. <laughs> like, you know, I, I love it. I think that it's unique too. I love quotes. Um, when I used to write my papers in college, I used to start out with like a hundred quotes for a page. <laughs> so um, I found them relatable in that aspect because I just, I like the starting the idea of starting things with quotes. So I think Rebecca Yaros incorporating that really made it exciting for me every time I started a new chapter to you know, get excited about the chapter. I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And I loved the quotes and I loved the idea of reading Brennan's journal without actually reading Brennan's journals. Like, you know, mm-hmm. instead of getting like Ellen letters, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> sorry to keep comparing that. <laughs> they don't compare these books, mm-hmm. but um, instead of getting like, you know, the, the uh, journal entries within it, we got little glimpses of them. And I, I kind of preferred that better. Yeah. On some of the chapters. I liked the quotes. I think it helped to flesh out the the universe a little bit. It helped a little bit with the world building. It showed that there's more to this universe than just what happens within the walls of this war college. I also yes. like, I don't know if you read in the very beginning, but it says that this whole book, I mean, it's not Rebecca Yara saying it, but it's supposed to be within this universe that it is taken or it was transcribed by Jacenia, who is Scarlet's friend who's a scribe. So the whole book itself is supposed to be a tale within the book that is similar to Game of Thrones, how at the end of Game of Thrones, we find out that the whole story is the book, A Song of Ice and Fire, that that they wrote about the whole tale from, from the whole series. So I thought that that was pretty clever on Rebecca Yaros's part. And I think that the same 
I felt that the quotes were, were clever as well, that it allowed mm -hmm. her to explain more about this universe without giving a lot of exposition in the novel itself. Yeah, I agree. I like that. And I love the one too that they include on the back. It says a dragon without its rider is a tragedy. A rider without its dragon is dead. Um, and it says article one, section one, the dragon writer's yeah. codex, which they talk about the codex a lot. So, yeah. um, you know, rather than boring us with giving us the codex, they give us little, you know, snippets and, um, you know, a little uh, peek into it, I guess you could say. And yeah. um, that quote really helps us think about it. Like, oh, what are we going to see going forward? I don't know. It's yeah. Interesting. It really makes me feel as though Rebecca Yaros, Becky Yar Yar, wrote <laughs> she wrote all of these supporting you know the codex and the other regulations and the letters I feel like she has a whole file of just these documents and then she just quoted them in the book and I I just I just find it clever I like it a lot yeah how do you feel about her writing style actually I kind of really like it mm -hmm. I have some issues with the writing so for one I I think she tells a great story. The pacing yeah. is fantastic. Yes. The plot is great. It's a very, yeah, it's a very fun read. This book is so much fun to read and you're just engrossed in it. It's a, it's a big book, but it really, you fly through it because it's just, you enjoy it so much. I wish that it was a little bit more refined, maybe a little edited. I think that there were some parts where I needed more explanation. For example, you know, like I said, the first time I read it, I didn't even know that Violet had an illness. And I think that that should have been made more clear and fleshed out a little bit. There's other things too. So for example, in the scene where she is attacked by the non-bonded cadets, this book is told from Violet's perspective. And I get that Rebecca Yaros was trying to leave the readers on a cliffhanger, but it was just very annoying to read from somebody's perspective. Like, oh, and then I saw her and then we don't find out who she is. And it was just frustrating. I didn't like that that writing choice. It felt manipulative and unnatural. And it took me out of the <laughs> book, which I didn't like. I also Aww. think that there's some tonal issues. So this is considered a new adult book. I think it reads more YA. I have to consistently remind myself that these are 20, 21, 23-year-old characters because they sound more immature. I feel like I'm reading about a 16 year old or a 17 year old. So I do have some issues with that. It actually made me wonder if she initially wrote this as a YA and then decided to change it for some stuff and maybe because of the level of violence. Um, but yeah. I think tonally I had some issues there, okay. but she, she has a good foundation. Um, you know, she's, you could tell that she's, she's a seasoned writer and I think it really just came down to a little bit more refinement. I know that this is her first foray into fantasy and I can feel all of her inspirations in the book. So there's a lot of things in this book that I'm like, well, this reminds me of Divergent. This reminds me of Hunger Games. This reminds me of Game of Thrones. This reminds me of Harry Potter. This reminds me of A Court of Thorns and Roses. And I wish I didn't feel it so much while I was reading, but I also understand that, you know, we, we all get inspiration from somewhere. I just wish that maybe she had, again, just taken a step back at a few points and maybe worked on it to, to not make that so apparent. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't read Akatar yet. I can't wait to. Yeah. Um, especially, um, you know, this is gearing up to like reading more fantasy for me. Um, yeah. But <laughs> 
But um, so I can't relate to it that way. Um, to me, some of the ideas seem fresh, but I do see inspiration, like you said. Um, but I feel like, you know, the writing style and definitely the development of the world, I feel like um, she did a, a good job there, mm -hmm. um, especially if this is her intro to fantasy. I mean, well done. She did well. I feel mm -hmm. like, um, you know, it was definitely engaging uh, to read the first half of this book. Um, mm -hmm. And I can't wait to continue reading it. So, yeah. yay. Um, I do think the world could have been fleshed out a little bit more, too. Just, again, an example. Yeah. So well, this guy at War College has four quadrants. We know that there's the writer's quadrant, the scribe's quadrant, and the healer's quadrant. Healers are hardly mentioned, and we have no idea what the fourth one is. Again, I just wish I knew a little bit more, and hopefully we'll get more of that in the future, but that's typically a first book type of thing. And well, don't, take my don't take my critiques as like super negative. I know that I am kind of a harsh critic. I did still really enjoy this book. I still really want to read more of it. I still want to read more in terms of the sequel and how I think she said she has at least four or five books planned for the series. Ooh, I'm into exciting. it. There's some things, again, that I have issues with that's maybe not going to make it a, a five star for me, but it's a super enjoyable book. Um, and just like I said, just so much fun to read and just to oh, jump into. Let, let's pretend it's not a book and you are a student. <laughs> That's going to Biscayeth War College. Which quadrant, other than the fourth one, we don't know, would you join and why? Oh, man, I would love to, to join the riders because obviously <laughs> I want a dragon, but I know I would never survive. I wouldn't. First of all, I don't I don't have the balance to stand on my own two feet for longer than maybe five minutes without kind of swaying to the side. So I would never be able to make it over the parapet. I know that I wouldn't survive there. I think I would probably prefer the healer's quadrant if I had to choose. Obviously, the scribe's quadrant would be nice, but it also sounds super boring and I wouldn't want to be walking around in robes all the time. I think I'd want to be a little bit more productive or um, add a little something more to, to society. Not that they don't, but I just feel like they spend all day documenting and recording and there is a benefit to that. There's also a drawback to that. I'd rather maybe be out there helping, helping the riders. So if they're getting hurt, going in and healing them, I think that's where I'd like to be. So I respect healers, but I know myself and I would never want to be like a nurse healer type of person. Um, I, I, I'd love to heal the world with some kind of powers that I got from my dragon. Um, <laughs> I would have to say anything that a dragon, anything that gives me a dragon, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and I would love to say that uh, I would kick ass at it, um, but I would have definitely fell off that parapet too. So. <laughs> you just see us one after the next. Well, that, there they go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sense. I'm the, I'm the, I'm cl I'm clumsy. So if I, if I'm the type of person, like if I see a pillow on the floor, I'll be like, oh, there's a pillow on the floor. Let me jump over it, but I'll, I'll trip on it. Um, so with that knowledge, I know that I probably wouldn't cut it in the writer's quadrant. Um, but I would like to believe <laughs> that if I knew that this uh, war college existed, um, that maybe I would have trained myself in preparation for it. Who knows? And that maybe I would be a writer. But I don't know. because It's not real. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't like pain. I'm not going to win in a fight. Just ask Rob. He says, he says, I'm weak, I'm weak boned. I don't got it in me. <laughs> All right. So. What are your predictions for the second half of the novel? What do you think is going to happen next? I'm, I'm not going to answer this question because I did already read this book. So 
I, I can maybe cheater. tell you what I thought at the time, but what, what are your predictions? All right. I will not like this book if Violet and Zayden at some point doesn't just like make out, you know, you got crazy, <laughs> you got crazy tension going, you know, I love the banter and this, and this tension that they have, but like, I need them to kiss. Okay. Um, I don't know if that doesn't happen. I'll be very sad if she ends up kissing Dane or if she ends up, you know, I know she Dane kisses her and she felt nothing um, after the threshing. Mm-hmm. So, yay. Um, <laughs> but like if she ends up with Dane or something, I'm going to be furious. Um, but that's, you know, that's just me. Um, I don't know if I 100 percent trust Zayden yet. I feel like, you know, they do have that little animosity in that past. So maybe. Maybe he's building up something to take her down. I don't know yet. I hope not because I want to believe that he's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't know. Maybe something will happen, something crazy, because um, I heard something crazy happens in this novel that I don't know about yet. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody not spoiler alerted me, but they were like, oh, my God. So I'm hoping <laughs> that it's, not, you know, I'm hoping that it's not like a, you know, her friend Rhiannon betraying her or somebody betraying her like mm-hmm. Dane or something. Um, because I'm not here for that. You know, I, I, I hope if that happens that, you know, Tarn will end you. Um, but we don't know. Uh, I don't yeah. know yet. I just don't know. But I'm hoping that, um, you know, also maybe that uh, I'm a little suspicious about Zayden's dragon being mated with Violet's dragon. Um, you know, I'm hoping that he didn't kind of like persuade the dragon to mate her so that he can get close to her and kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that Zayden is the good guy. But of course, uh, you know, I don't 100% trust him yet. So I'm interested to see where where that goes. Okay. You know? yeah. yeah. And I want them to ram. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> I won't be satisfied if they do not. That's yeah. all. Come on, Becky. Yeah, yeah. So when I, at the time when I was reading, I definitely was all on board with Zayden. I don't know if there's any Dane fans out there, if there were people that were at some point on the Dane train. Who? But I don't know. I feel like... I feel like there can't be anybody. I, I feel like there would be more of a Donnybrook if there was a real fight between Dane and Zayden. But I, I I think it's clear that Zayden is a much more likable character. He's a much more likable man. And I agree that he I is I a wanted, man. I, I wanted he is, <laughs> he is. <laughs> um, but I wanted them to eventually get together. And I did believe at some point there was going to be a betrayal I I thought that there's a lot of themes in the beginning of, well, I need to follow the rules, you need to follow the rules, and then the people who were like, well, you know, the rules aren't necessarily law, they're rules, and sometimes they need to be broken, so I was kind of curious about if that was going to come into play. In, in my head, I was thinking Dane is going to stick with what he believes is supposed to be the law, or the right thing, or the rules, and that those may not be the right thing after all, because he was so intent on on sticking with them. And whether that was within the college or outside, I did believe that something was going to happen there. I did think Zayden was going to betray her at some point. So we'll see if that happens. I thought that he was going to reveal that he was working with the rebellion or something along those lines. So that's where I was at when I first read the book. Well, he's definitely have, hiding we something. Still have a week so that, to hide. He's definitely hiding. That's why he's I always, just trust him. Fully. Yeah, he's always flying off places. Everybody's always like, he's hiding things that you don't know about. Even he says, you know, there's things you don't know about me. So right, he's evasive. 
Yeah. yeah. And I, I wish maybe Violet had kind of explored that a little bit, maybe tried to get some more details from him. I think she tries, but kind of just half-assedly because then she's just like, oh my God, look at his abs, which this man annoyed me a little Look bit. at this beautiful man. <laughs> um, but yeah, know, he sounds that's... really hot. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine he probably is. <laughs> uh, oh, Ziploc. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. So since we did only review half of the book for this episode, we will be giving our overall opinion, ratings, and whether or not we would recommend the book during our our episode next week on Tuesday, September 5th. And we might also give some additional discussion during our Thursday episode on August 31st. That's this Thursday. So we might have some more discussion then, but our overall ratings, our golden scoops and our uh, skip or scoop will be in the next episode on Tuesday, September 5th. Talk about it then. Okay, everyone. So before we go, we have the Sassy Spatula Award to give out. The word was quiescent. And the person who used it most was... No one. Once again, neither one of us used the word of the day. Apparently, we have a quiescent desire to use the word of the day. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll get better with that <laughs> over time. Womp womp. Hey, womp, no womp. one, do you want to give a speech? <laughs> Excellent speech. Okay. Great job, no one. Next Tuesday, September 5th, we will be continuing our discussion on Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. We'll be reading and reviewing the remaining chapters, 20 through 39, during that episode and giving our final review and ratings and whether or not we would recommend it. Join us then for our thoughts on the book's conclusion and join us again on Thursday, August 31st for another party episode. Also, don't forget that we will be releasing a book of the month episode on the last Wednesday of each month. Our first book of the month will be on Emily Henry's Happy Place, and that episode will air tomorrow, Wednesday, August 30th. If you haven't read the upcoming books, but you'd like to, head on over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in our discussions. As an Amazon associate and member of other affiliate programs, we earn from qualifying purchases. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a commission, so thank you for supporting us. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it because we're done with this one.
can't. I hate you. <laughs> Hello, my darling. Hello, my sh- my same time girl. I hate you. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Oh man! Before we dive into our discussion, no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, everyone. <laughs> Why do I? I don't know. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it was a real daughter, bro. Sound like a drunken Irishman. Oh, you me down by the day, bro. I'll punch you square in the eye. All right, I'm done. <laughs>